we talked last week about our vision as a church, and it was a nice time because we were coming off a real powerful series on shame and people being released from shame, and uh, it was a moment for us to catch our breath and talk about where we're headed next as a church. And I'd like to spend a few moments, because I think it touches on the passage we're going to be looking at. The passage we're looking at today helps us understand the way forward. Um, So I want to spend a few moments just digging a little more deeply into what some of this vision looks like and is going to look like as it unfolds over the next months and even years in Solano Community Church. So there was a time of deep introspection over the last months where we've been asking some, some deeper questions. And out of that, um, we've come uh, to this statement, and I think it's still malleable. We're still thinking it through. I, I, I kind of wrote it before the sermon, uh, collecting a lot of the thoughts and conversation we've been ha- having. But let me just uh, share this with you, and ha- happy to have your input, your thought. want to get coffee with you and talk about this if that's something that you want. But here's what we're looking at. We envision releasing waves of gospel-centered ambassadors who will fan out across the Bay Area and beyond. As they reflect the light of the gospel into all facets of life, they will make it possible for others to find God, even in our unchurched, highly secular environment. These ambassadors will be equipped by a growing team, that's all of us here, of disciplers, teachers, and advocates who will help prepare them for the unique work to which they have been called by the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, I like to hear a little excitement about that. So the first three steps, the big buckets that we're thinking about, we're calling this Vision 2012. We've given, given us a horizon of about five, six years, and some of this may change as we continue to, to get deep into it. But we're talking about capacity. So this summer, we've already been working on this, and in the fall of 2019, we'll be looking at building capacity, and I'll explain what that is in a moment. And then we'll look at starting the campus in El Cerrito. We have a building in El Cerrito. We want to start a service there. We want to do it well. We want to get into the community and really reach people. So we're looking at the winter and the spring of 2020 for that to take place. And then it looks like we've got a church planting resident coming on board probably in January. He'll be with us It's kind of an interview process on June, the weekend of June the 2nd. So I encourage you to be present and get a chance to meet him and his family. And we would be looking at perhaps uh, launching a church then in 2021. Um, So those are the three big buckets uh, that we're working with here. And so the first one is capacity building. And here's here's the issue with capacity building. Here's our capacity problem that we're seeing right now. Um, A number of months ago, somebody came up to me and said, you know, my marriage is really struggling. My wife and I need help. And I thought to myself, okay, my wife and I are tapped out. We can't make another set of appointments. Uh, So Pastor Dante, and then I thought, Pastor Dante and Bev are tapped out. They're already meeting people. So who am I going to send this couple to, to get help in strengthening their marriage? And the problems are twofold with that. It's, there's two barriers. The people are not developed to be able to equip, to be able to do that work. That's one part of the problem. The other part of the problem is we have lots of people who I think are equipped to do that kind of work, but we're not organized sufficiently to make it happen. And this is part of a problem of our, of our growing, and it's an issue that we need to solve. And so what I, the phrase I've been using is we have to have a little bit of a mindset shift. The church that we have now is the ministry team. 
you look around, everybody, this is the ministry team. The church that we're becoming isn't with us yet. Because when we get mobilized to do the work of the gospel, then we'll be prepared to receive those people and to actually minister to them in a way that is going to be effective. And this comes out of thinking about Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Um, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to what? Equip the saints. Who are the saints? That's all the people who believe. That's believers. That's, all, that's those of us who believe in, in our midst right here. Maybe not all of us, and that's fine. We love to have people who are seeking in our midst. But for those of us who are believing in Jesus Christ, you're a saint. And to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, it was never supposed to be that Pastor Dante would do all the counseling. Okay? to prepare them uh, to, for the building up of the body of Christ. So we were talking about this in our elders meeting this week, and it was like, I, you know, Pastor Dante came and I said, okay, you're the quarterback of the church, and gave him the football. And then he's looking around who to throw to. And, and, and it's like street football. Nobody has positions, right? Everybody's just running out, right? And there's no plays or anything. And so he's just standing here with the football, and he doesn't know where to throw it. So what we're going to do is start to make some plays and give some people some roles. Because we've gotten to the size where we need to, we can't just play street football anymore. Okay? It's got to be a little more organized. So that's what is behind this. We've had our first 90 days in this process. We're designing the content. Basically, it's the Discipleship Pathway 3.0. We're going to use the Gospel Academy, but we're going to use it in a completely different way. We're not going to have everything we're going to break down the walls of our Gospel Academy. It's not going to be Wednesday night only, although there will be Wednesday night stuff. We're going to try and take all the content and make it available through the various media that we can. You know, so if you're somebody who has a long commute, you'll be able to take a Gospel Academy class you know, listening to a podcast as you're driving to work so that we can get more and more people through the process and developed as leaders, and then those will result in teams of people that we'll be able to, when somebody comes and says, I have, a, I have a problem with my marriage, we can say, yeah, all right, we've got people who can help you with that, or whatever it is. So the next 90 days, we're actually writing the content. A lot of it is already done. We've got some that needs to be improved, and we have some new stuff. So that's what we're going to be doing over these next 90 days. I ask for you to pray for us in that. Um, and so in light of all that, I hope that gives you a little bit more clarity I want to dive into our text for this morning because I think this passage is going to give us uh, some light on how you live out a vision and the mindset that you have as you continue to live out a vision. Some important reminders because the, the protagonists in the scripture that we're going to read today, they had a vision, but as always happens, it doesn't go quite as they anticipated, right? And so there's a, there's a measure of readiness that they need to have to walk with God in this process. And I'm hoping we can absorb some of that today. So would you open to the book of Acts, chapter 13? Book of Acts, chapter 13. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. It's on page 537 in the Bible that we hand out. Um, please don't be shy. Raise your hand. We've got lots of them. I want you to take this Bible home. If you need a Bible at your house, please take it with you. Um, and we're going to draw some lessons out of this. And again, we're having a little bit of a family kitchen conversation here, so if you're visiting with us today, I get that some of this might not completely jive with where you're at. Um, we're just so happy that you're here, and we hope that over this next season, if you keep coming and being a part of us, 
you'll be able to connect in to more and more of what God is doing in our community. We do see God moving in some powerful ways, and we hope and pray that he's moving in your life too, and that we can help cultivate that and nurture that with you. So we're going to look at um, God directing the fulfillment of our vision here. And a little bit of background, um, there is a church in Antioch, which is a very special church in the New Testament. It becomes a center of ministry. Barnabas and Paul, the Apostle Paul, this is the very beginning of his public ministry that we know about, are sent out from this church in Antioch. So we'll put the map up here. Um, if this, I put the modern-day countries on here. So Turkey and Syria, you can get a bear, your bearings. That's the Mediterranean Sea. Antioch is in the right there. And they're going to leave Antioch. They're going to go to this, uh, the island of Cyprus. And that's where the action is going to take place that we're looking at today. And then they go to these other places and they come back to Antioch. They get kind of uh, restored there. And then they're going to go out two more times and continue. So Antioch Church is really a center of ministry. And we hope and pray, all churches hope and pray, that we would become kind of an Antioch church, being able to send people out and, and all of that. So um, they probably had some expectations as they were going out on this journey, right? Okay, we've got this vision. We're going to go do ministry. But, um, but what happens is kind of something they could not have expected. It's a little bit wild, a little bit woolly, and there's some lessons in that for us. So look with me in verse 4, chapter 13, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, that's what we looked at last week. There was this process in worship. They prayed and fasted. The Holy Spirit set aside Paul and Barnabas. They sent them out. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salimus, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. That'll be John Mark, who's actually the author of the Gospel of Mark. So he probably was an eyewitness to some of the events of Jesus. Um, and so his presence would have helped them in their proclamation. But he's younger. Verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, so that's the, all the way to the other side, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, son of, son of some guy named Joshua, basically, in this case. He was the proconsul. That's a Roman governor for that whole region. Uh, he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Paul is sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with Sergius Paulus. And Elymas, who's probably one of his counselors in the court, is like trying to thwart the process. Verse 9, but Saul, who is called Paul, so this is the first time that name change, and he's going to be Paul for the rest of the time, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? He doesn't mince words. Uh, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Now, uh, just pause there for a second. Remember, how did Paul come to faith? He was blinded, right? So I don't know what Paul's thinking. I don't know if he's thinking this is going to be a moment for Elymas where it actually could result in some spiritual transformation. And that's often the case with us when we are... Physically or maybe spiritually blinded, things get difficult for some reason. That's the moment when we have a, 
a decision to make uh, where that's going to lead us. And for Paul, he turned to God. And some of you may be here this morning and you're, there's some kind of blindness in your life. And the question is the same as it was for Paul and Elymas here, is where is that going to lead you? Is that going to cause you to turn towards God? Because those blindnesses are an opportunity for us to come to the Lord. And that's what Paul seems to be thinking here with Elymas. We don't know what happened to Elymas. We do know what happened to the proconsul, verse 12. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astounded at the teaching of the Lord. All right. Now, I know I've spent a lot of time on the preliminaries here, so uh, I'm going to make my points pretty quickly, so listen fast. Um, Three lessons on how to do vision well. I want to talk about the vision, the mission, I should say. I want to talk about flexibility, and I want to talk about trust this morning. So first of all, the mission. Over and over again in the Bible, we have this notion that God is a sender, that he's going out to reach people. Um, so he, the, the, the greatest example is what we believe about Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is actually God taking on flesh, entering into our world to pursue us out of his great love, to woo us back to himself, and to make it possible for us to come back to him by Jesus' death on the cross, which atones for all of our sin. So, but you see that even going back to Abraham being sent and all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, and then the disciples being sent. So there's this constant thing that God is always sending. He's sending himself, he's sending others, he's sending us, his people, into the world. And this leaves us with a kind of attention. Because in the life of a church, there is work that happens, what I would say, internally, where we, we grow we get changed and transformed, and we focus in on ourselves. We, we deal with our stuff, and the gospel helps us to deal with our stuff. That's really important work. But we can't just stay there. We can't become insular and do only that. We also have to allow ourselves to be sent out, okay, and to go reach out to others. And oftentimes in a church setting, there becomes a kind of a tension in this. And, of course, Paul and Barnabas are high on the sent side right now. And you'll find people who lean one direction or the other. Some people... They want to focus in and work, in on, work on the healing of who we have. And then other people are like, ah, I don't care. We're all a mess. We're never going to get perfect. Let's just go out and find more people, right? And as we think about our staff and we think about our church council and our elders, we want to have people on both sides of that equation. We want to, have, we want to live the tension there, having some who are focused on the inward work, the internal healing, and some who are focused more on the external sending side of it. Because the resolution is that both are important, right? Because as people get healed and freed from stuff, then they're more apt to go out and win others to the faith. And yet we know that in this life, we're never going to be perfectly healed, so we have to start going out even before we're healed all the way. And it's in the going out that sometimes we experience the healing that we, that we hope for and long for in our lives. So there's that tension. We have to navigate that tension. It's a both-and kind of thing. We're both focusing on the internal and the external. And so you see that in our mission, as we've talked about it. We're building capacity, which is more of the internal side of things. But we're also looking at a campus launch in the next season. And that's the external side, the sending side. But we want to hold on to that tension and do both. And I see this in my own life. You know, when I'm in a really difficult time and I'm just pressed in on all sides, 
I'm much less likely to reach out. But as I start to get some things healed and, and taken care of, I find welling up in me this desire to share the good news with the people around me. And, and so we have to walk that in our own lives, and we're going to have to stock that. But we've got to stay focused on the mission, is my point here, and, and, and live in that tension. So that's the first one. Within that, then, we also have to show a measure of flexibility. You know, Paul could not have planned what was going to happen in Paphos when he got there. I mean, could you imagine Paul planning, okay, okay, Barnabas, we're going to get to Paphos, and uh, I'm going to find the most powerful person there and start to share the good news with them. And there's probably going to be somebody there who's going to try to thwart me, some magician or something. And he's going to, you know, and so then I'm going to rebuke him. Uh, and then the, the proconsul is going to see the power of God and come to faith in Jesus Christ. You just don't plan that out, right? That's a wild story. And they're just in the midst of it. And they're having to make it up as they go along. Like they're having to really listen to the Holy Spirit. I love what you said Gee, about listening to the Holy Spirit. We, that's how we all need to be living, is listening to the Holy Spirit as we're in these circumstances that oftentimes we make a strategy, but when it comes down to the daily, we can't plan how this is all going to unfold. And I love the sensitivity of, of Paul in the midst of that. He's just, you know, he sort of, he, he, he has enough faith to take this circumstance that's kind of crazy and allow God to work in it. He's got this incredible flexibility. We have a problem. Well, I was, let me back up one step to say that this is how God works so often in the, the, the crazy moments. And so we need to acknowledge that, that as we step out to live out the vision, it's probably going to entail some crazy moments that we didn't anticipate. That's normal. I mean, Joseph was thrown in prison, right? And God used that to save his people. How do we know that that was going to turn out the way it certainly didn't feel like it when he's in prison at the first part. Jesus is hanging on a cross, right? Doesn't seem like a win in that moment, but it ends up being the greatest win of all. So we just need to know that this is how God often works. We get in these moments, it's just, it's crazy. We don't know, we don't know what's happening. And yet that's where God's doing his best stuff. And so to have that sensibility, that flexibility, I think we have a problem with this in our modern world because we try to erase all uncertainty from every moment of our lives. I mean, what, uh, what else is the purpose of a, of a cell phone, right? You know, we're just always, there's just so little uncertainty. We have our calendars and our time frames. We, we think of, I mean, we think of time, understand our conception of time is actually different than it would have been in Jesus' day. When you add in a watch and the, the precision that we have, and the calendaring and all that. And so what that tends to do is buffer us, block us out from God intervening in our lives in these moments and doing crazy things because we can't see it. We're like, no, I got to go. And, you know, I, the schedule says I, I don't have time for you, Jesus, um, because the schedule says I'm supposed to go have lunch right now. And he's trying to break in and work something through the crazy. And we're just not there to receive it. So somehow we're going to have to grapple with that and, and, and embody a greater flexibility. Because it was in the flexibility, it was in the crazy that this, this seeker, this intelligent governor came to faith. So I feel like he's, it was in the unexpected. Um, Sergius Paulus is an intellectual seeker, right? But he wasn't won by that. He was won by the unexpected. 
And I think he's a kind of a prototype of a Bay Area person, right? Um, the intellectual types. But isn't it interesting? It wasn't the intellectual arguments alone that won him to the faith. It was the breaking down of a stronghold. When Elymas goes blind, whatever Sergius Paulus is thinking about the intellectual teaching that he's heard, he clues in on that and he says, whoa, there's a power here that's greater than. And it was the combination of the teaching and the breaking of the stronghold that ultimately encourage him to come to faith. And that's going to be true for us as we go out on this endeavor um, that we need to remember, especially in a place like this that has the idolatry of the intellect, it is often not going to be the best argument that wins the day. It's going to be the stories of transformation like we heard two weeks ago when people stood up and shared their testimony about how God is overcoming shame in their lives and other things that are painful and broken. And it's those kinds of stories that are going to be really important. And so we need to continue to live into what we've been talking about, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst and to see people's lives transformed and to hope and pray for that to be um, for the people that we're reaching out as well too. So flexibility is really important. The last one is trust. Um, what is visible here and beyond in the life of Paul is his incredible trust in God. Think of the kinds of experiences that Paul had. He was um, imprisoned multiple times. He was, you know, beaten multiple times. He was shipwrecked multiple times. I mean, Paul went through, he, he talks about starvation. He talks about um, hunger and thirst and sleeplessness, right? That was kind of par for the course for Paul. That was the struggle of his life. Uh, and you read, if you put it all together, it's like an action, Paul's life is like an action movie, you know? I know you've all been to see, you know, the recent action movies. I think one came out that was kind of popular. Um, and do you ever feel when you're watching these action movies, like, you know, the person is like hanging by a toenail from a 90-story building and half dead, and you're thinking to yourself, man, when are they ever going to give up, Right? They just never give up. They just, no matter what happens, they keep fighting on. You go, wow, would I do that or would I give up at some point? And then I always remember, well, it's just a movie. So they knew how it was going to end and they made it this way and everything. But Paul's life isn't a movie. It's his real life. And why is it that Paul seems to be able to endure all of this craziness, the unexpected turns, the sleeplessness, the shipwrecks, and all of that? Is it because he's just better than the rest of us? I don't think that's what the Bible wants us to take. I think Paul sees something. Now we talk about blindness. Now we talk about sight. Paul sees something about God that we're all supposed to see. And that is the goodness and the faithfulness and the power of God in the midst of whatever circumstance we're in. And Paul has a clear vision. You remember, he's been studying and working. You know, he's already been caught up to the third heaven probably by this point, and he's seen visions. And that vision of God and the presence of God and the power of God and the goodness of God is what carries him through every moment. When he would be tempted to say, oh, it's over, forget it. I can't. Elymas is too powerful. I can't do anything with this. 
Forget it, Sergius. Don't worry about that gospel good news thing. Um, we'll go on to the next town. He hangs in there in the midst of it because he knows that even though this is getting really sideways right now, God is bigger. And he can do it. And I think that's what we are called into as we think about our own lives, as we think about living out this vision. In fact, I would venture to guess that some of us are in that moment right now where life is really sideways. It's really sideways. And we're feeling like all is lost. And we're being called upon this morning to take on the eyes of Paul and to see the God of the universe who is capable even in the brokenness and the seeming lostness of your circumstances. And that's going to be true for us as a church as we move forward, we step out in faith to do things that we could never do on our own strength. And we get sideways. We still don't even know what they're going to do with this building in terms of the timing and where we're going to be. You know, it's okay. God's got this. He's so much bigger than these four walls and a ceiling. So, so this is the attitude we want to embody with our own lives and with our life with God. This week, uh, for me, was a pretty hectic week. I was in Minneapolis on Monday, came back, worked, and then I had to go to jury duty on Thursday. And then uh, I, I get stuck in the next day, so I go in on Friday and do jury duty. And right off the bat, I'm one of the 12 in the box. Oh, and I'm going through the process and uh, it's, a, it's a case that's going to be about five weeks long. Now, I, you know, it's been a pretty intense stretch for me personally. And I was thinking to myself, you know, May is going to be awesome. I'm going to just let off a little bit, still work hard on the vision stuff, get focused on that. And as the morning is passing by, I'm seeing the entire month slip away. And God is doing something in my heart, and I'm starting to come to this place. You know what? God, you're big enough for this. I'll work at night. You'll give me the strength to do what I need to do. Um, you know, we'll get some other people maybe to preach and take off a little pressure, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm starting to actually, I'll, I'll bike to the courthouse so that I get some exercise, you know. Do they have, I'm wondering, do they have bike closets in the courthouse and, you know, et cetera. I'm starting to plan this out. Okay, Lord, you can do this. I, you know, I had to write my sermon, the first draft of the sermon, during the, in the jury room the day before. So that went okay. Well, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> um, and um, so, God, you got this. You can do this, right? And I just sort of rested in that place, and I was like, okay, my life is not my own. God gets to decide. And right at that moment, the attorney for the plaintiff looks over and goes, Mr. Hoffman, you're dismissed. <laughs> oh, man, talk about walking out light, and, you know. <laughs> I, I've been, I was singing that song, I've been freed. <laughs> it was great. Anyway, for our vision and for life in general, somehow we need to get to that place where we see like Paul. Whatever happens, God's big enough, and he's going to do it. God's got this, even when it gets sideways, even when it gets crazy. So, Lord, would you help us as we embark on this journey, as we embrace this season, as we as a church come together 
and become more tightly knit together and mobilized by you, equipped by you to do the work of ministry together. And as we face challenges together, interpersonal challenges that I'm sure will come up, challenges from the world around us that I'm sure will come up, challenges from facilities that I'm sure will come up, whatever it is, would you meet us in the middle of all that and show us, just like you did with Paul and Barnabas, how much greater you are? That when it seems like all is lost, you get to write the end of the story. And you are faithful. And you are good. And you are powerful. And maybe most importantly, you're present by your spirit. So we praise you in Jesus' name.